my first three star in Ocala in 2017. If you go back and watch the video, they called me the galloping dentist. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Welcome to the Major League Eventing Podcast, the show for eventing fans by eventing fans. And Karen, as usual, we love to thank our sponsor, Exhibitors Products, for sponsoring this episode. Yes, and this week we'd like to feature the Quick Shampoo and Conditioner. Very good stuff. Very good stuff. Tell us all about it, Karen. Well, the Quick Shampoo is a new breakthrough in shampoo technology with a shine-intensifying solution for equine hair that optically alters the way light interacts with each hair shaft. A low sudsing formula that rinses out quickly is an excellent stain remover and is gentle enough for everyday use. Used consistently, the optical effects intensify and enhance shine with each use. Well, we saw that firsthand, didn't we, Karen? We sure did. We washed old Max up, and that was the first. The first step was getting off all the heavy stuff with the shampoo and conditioner. And yes. that alone did a great job. It sure did. And it was amazing. Yeah, and that the conditioner really got the tail all untangled and really help with that right yeah came out nice and silky and smooth silky smooth so hey we all need shampoo and conditioner karen for our horses so yeah i think exhibitors got that covered pretty doggone good yep and like they say groom like you mean it hey karen we got another five-star review on apple Podcasts. what do you say i saw it uh we got five stars and it is from rkbsox they say love this podcast Karen and Rob bring an authentic love for the sport of eventing to this podcast. Their enthusiasm and practical knowledge are as refreshing as is their down-to-earth delivery. Great fun listening. Oh, well, thank you so much. That was wonderful. Karen, we're back in the five stars. Woo! We dipped there for a day. One day. One day. (laughs) Just once. So here we are. We're back in the five stars. Thank you so much for that review. We sure do appreciate it. And, uh... We just can't thank you enough for, for listening and for taking the time to leave us that review. Um, anyone else that wants to give us a review, Karen, please go to Apple Podcasts and hit it up. Hit it up. Smash those five stars. That's what we would love. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. I'm Karen. And I'm Rob. And Karen got a very, very special guest by request. Yes. We have a re- had a special request for this guest today. Mm-hmm. We have four-star eventer, Carrie Chavis. Carrie, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you guys tonight? Oh man, Good. we're fantastic, fantastic. The funny, like uh, the funny thing is, we had Carrie. You should I call you Doctor Chavis by chance? No, no, <laughs> my patients don't even do that. We we're, we're more casual. Carrie's just fine. Okay. So Carrie, you're you're a dentist, right? By profession. Correct. Yeah, so we actually had, and I... I a people dentist, too. You're a people dentist. Yeah, yes. you're not. That is correct. <laughs> yeah, my, my my patients can talk back. <laughs> the, uh, we actually had, and I forget her name, Karen, and I really yeah. feel bad. It was a little while ago. We were playing a little bit of tag with trying to get you for, uh, actually, couple, quite a few months now. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a dental student, and she looks up to you because... She's an aspiring dentist and upper level rider, and she said, "Could you please get Carrie Chavis on the show?" So here you are. We finally made cool. it. <laughs> so whoever that was, glad I could help. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so and you know, Karen, part of the what we try to do is we always try to get different types of people on the show—people mm-hmm. that are professionals and uh, up and comers and amateurs. So this is a great opportunity to get uh, a professional professional. That is an amateur rider at the upper level. Yes. So thank you so much, Carrie, for, for taking this time to be with us. We're super excited. To sure. Have no problem. So uh, we always ask where our guests are coming to us from. So could you, uh, are you, are you traveling? Are you home base? Where are you? No, I'm home base. I live in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. I've been here since uh, after dental school since 1989. Wow. So I've been here almost 30 years. Well, 30 years this year. Wow. Wow. Holy smokes. And you're like in, in like the heart of DC, like in- I'm in, yeah, my office is about seven blocks from the white house. Wow. So we're right in downtown DC. Um, so, you know, whenever I, it's great centrally located cause for riding, you know, it's an hour, 
hour and a half out to Virginia, to Middleburg, out to Maryland, Annapolis. Um, so when I was riding years and years ago, it was uh, manageable wow. to still live in the city and then drive out. That's very cool. Do you have like any like politicians that are, are patients? I do. I do have some politicians that are patients. I've got lots of lawyers that are patients. Wow. <laughs> and I have and I have a few equestrians that are patients, some upper level eventers who are patient professionals. <laughs> they come into the come city. To, I don't come into the city uh, for anything. Yeah. <laughs> I I do. I have some that are crazy enough to come into the city since they know I'm crazy enough to go out to ride. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So before we talk about, you know, the glamorous life of a dentist, let's Yeah, let, let's go back. And Carrie, can you tell us how you actually got your start in riding and then into eventing? Sure. Um, I started riding at the ripe old age of seven. Nice. I was at camp and my folks decided every summer they wanted a two month vacation. So they sent the three boys to sleepaway camp for two months. <laughs> they came out one weekend during the summer to visit and I fell in love with the horses that first year and came back and asked for a pony and they said no. And three boys. They're like, I went back the next year and I really loved the horses. And I came back and really said I wanted to start riding. And my mother felt that if I had been pursuing this for two years now, she would uh, get me some riding lessons. And so that's where it started. We lived in Baltimore at the time. And I took riding lessons out in Green Spring and they would drop me off at the barn on a Saturday. And I would, that was like my babysitter. I would be there for the whole day and I'd ride once a week, I'd get one lesson that they paid for it, and then I worked at the barn mucking stalls and doing all sorts of chores to get a second lesson when I could. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Uh, Were yeah, you so always that, eventing? Or? I'm never eventing. I was always hunter-jumper. I started um, the jumpers when I was you know, teenager. I didn't do a ton of showing when I was a kid. Um I did some local shows, but with two other brothers that were heavily into sports and living in Baltimore and an hour drive to the barn, it was not very conducive to, you know, spending a lot of weekends at horse shows, you know, plus we did other activities. I was big into tennis and gymnastics at the time as well. So there was a lot, lot going on. I did the riding a lot for fun. I loved jumping. I loved being at the barn, but it wasn't a big competitive horse shows for me until I was like 11, 12. Wow. Jeez. Was that when you got your first like horse of your own or how, what, what was, what was No, that I got my first horse when I was nine. Um, it was a kind of a pony and it just happened that horse came to the barn and I was the one who was around and his name was Firecracker. He had a lovely red blaze on it, Auburn blaze on his nose. He was jet black and I just started riding him, and I probably fell off him more than I stayed on him for the first six months. But had a blast and always came home with the cuts and bruises, but that was really the first horse I ever, quote-unquote, trained and broke. And it was more, not not technical training, more just being able to stay on in time in the saddle. And he's like, fine, if you're going to be this persistent, I'll let you ride me, kind of thing. Not, let's do, you know, half passes and, you know, and extended trot work, so... But it was fun. And then I just, from there, just kept, you know, riding and leasing some horses. And it was, you know, it was a lot of fun. And and, now, and as you were in, like, your teenage and high school years, did you continue to ride? And was it, like, when did it, uh, like, how did that whole transition come, like, so you know, it got, to go to college and all this? Yeah, it got serious after, after dental school. I competed at local shows during high school. And then again with two other brothers and we were four years apart. So we were all in college at the same time. My oldest brother went to law school. I was in dental school. So my parents were taking care of college for three boys and then professional school. So the riding got put, you know, they were not sending me to school with the horse. I was not going to have riding lessons with everything else going on. So I, I rode a few times a year when I came home and over at friends but when I graduated dental school, I told my mother, first thing I was going to do is buy a horse. She kind of thought I was crazy. <laughs> so I was still you know, renting an apartment. I was doing my residency and renting an apartment and scraped, uh, scraped together enough money to finally buy my first horse. And I started riding at Meadowbrook Stables in Washington, D.C. Well, it's in Maryland. It's right off of East West Highway in D.C. So it's literally 15 minutes from downtown D.C. 
Wow. So it was a great venue to start riding, but it was small. There was no real big turnout for horses. There was the the barn and the riding ring and a few, two riding rings and some open space, but none of the horses were really on turnout. Mm. They were in stalls and it was a city facility, but it was just my, my way to get back in to do local shows and to start riding. And this is still hunter jumper. You were still hunter jumper kind of guy. I was, and that bar Meadowbrook is still there. It was taken over by some private people who own it, and they've improved it, and they're actually having plans to build an indoor wow. in at the at uh, Meadowbrook Stables. It's a great community uh, stable. Cool, cool, cool. And that's where I met Peter Foley oh. and Stephen Bradley. Okay. <laughs> so oh, that, that that was that was my entrance to them doing a a rated show one of my rated shows through Meadowbrook Stables, and they were kind of the trainers that would help out at the rated shows. And I met Peter one year, and we just hit it off. And once I really got into it, I left Meadowbrook and started riding with Peter. Oh, wow. Now, was Stephen also... Now, we've interviewed Stephen before, mm-hmm. Karen. Yeah. Fantastic right. guy. Yeah. Gosh, yeah, he's, love him. He's, he's great. He's the, fan, he's the best. Um, was he also helping with the hunter-jumper stuff, or was he just... No, like, at the time, Peter was with Dale Crittenberger. They were kind of a... They were a team. They were a couple. They were a team. They did the hunter-jumpers very well-known. You know, Peter and Dale at the horse shows. Peter rode. Dale trained. They had their farm Woodhall stables in Aldi, Virginia, which is where Peter still is today. And that um, relationship ended. They still stayed partners in the business. And then Peter met Stephen. Oh, okay. And so when I was still riding with Peter, he then started a relationship with Stephen. And that's how I met Stephen. And is that how you got turned on to eventing or... Yeah, I got turned on to eventing in a very interesting way. One, I was getting bored with the jumpers. <laughs> we would go to Ocala every winter, and I had a great time, and we would do the jumpers, and there could be 90 people in a class, and the class could go all day. Yeah, yeah. Go, and if, you're, if your trainer's not there, they hold the rings. There's all these conflicts. Oh. And so I could be doing a three-foot-six three class, hunter class, I mean, jumper class, and it could go, it started at eight and I could be going at 2.40 in the afternoon. Oh so I got tired of just sitting around and waiting or then you get warmed up and then your training got called away. So I was like, this just got boring. The excitement of it, you know, really wore off. And so I was kind of getting bored with it. And my horse at the time that I had purchased had gotten injured and it was coming back. <clears throat> and I said, you know, I'm just going to take a little break. I took the horse down to the beach, Rehoboth Beach, where we've got a beach house. I said, you know what? I'm just going to have fun this summer with my horse. It took two years to get him back. And they said, ah, he wouldn't really be a jumper again. Well, we got to the beach and he never took a lame step. And I was like, hey, Peter, you need to come to the beach. You know, Clark is feeling better than ever before. And he's kind of skeptical. Like, here you are, you stupid amateur. You don't know what you're talking about. The vet said he's not going to show again. You have wishful thinking. And he came out. And he was like, he really looks good. He hasn't looked better. So after that summer, I went back and started riding with Peter. And I just, for some reason, said, you know, I'd really like to start eventing. So then that winter, instead of going with Peter to Ocala, I kept the horse with Stephen Bradley in Ocala. And that's when I started my eventing career. Wow. What a great, what a great mentor to have and, and coach. And, yeah. And Holy smokes. It yeah. was a wonderful mentor to have. And it was uh, very, very fun to watch him work with my horse i will tell you that so your horse just need a little bit of that nice delaware beach air that salt air yeah, that's all. <laughs> well it was soft footing it was really good he you know he he had almost two years off of you know he had a uh a fracture and a cannon bone a spiral oh. fracture and it came back um after lots of time you know we thought he wasn't going to be good we tried to donate him to a riding facility riding school but they wouldn't take him so all happened for a good reason, and yeah. that is the horse I took to my first training three-day at Waradaka, who came in second out of 70 horses and won best condition horse of the horse trial out of both divisions of the three-day. That's really, really That's cool. That's really cool. Holy cow. Yeah. Do you have a place and in Rehoboth? We do. We've had a place in Rehoboth for about 16 years. I kept the horses down there for the summers at a stable that's no longer there. That was just convenient. Gotcha. Karen has an office in Rehoboth. Yeah, yeah. I'm there 
couple times a month. Yeah, with the old day job. Oh, okay. Old day job. Well, <laughs> the, the day job. Well, we're, we're de- my partner's there most weekends. I'm between the horses and Rehoboth yeah. in the summer. <laughs> oh, my yeah, goodness. It, it, it's hard. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. Home of dogfish. Oh yeah, dog. Oh yeah, and and he just sold that for a for a good for a good bid. Yeah, very successful call. Delaware. Very very successful Delaware store. Always yeah. good to hear the locals doing well. Yeah, yep, they're doing well. Awesome. So so now, okay. So a- about how long ago was it that you made the transition into eventing, and then how long is this? How long did it take you to kind of get up to where you're the the now four star? you know, amateur rider mm-hmm. that you are. How long did that process take? And well, can you take us through that journey a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, when I started eventing with Steven, I would say it's probably 14 years ago. And I was just enjoying it. I had the one horse. I would live in D.C. and drive out to Middleburg, you know, two to three times a week to ride. <clears throat> and I took my horse up through the training level uh, pretty quickly within that year and stayed at the training level for about two years. And the issue, we were very uh, able, jumping-wise, to move up to the preliminary level, but Stephen is extremely judicious in his teachings, and we were not really competent enough in the flat for him to feel comfortable recommending that we move on up to the up, up to prelim, because my horse is thoroughbred. He'd never really done dressage, and, you know, he wasn't the best mover, and it was just hard for us. So we never took him up to preliminary level, but I got the bug and I wanted to be able to go further. So then I did buy a few other horses that, um, I bought a, a six-year-old that actually Peter came to Peter's farm, uh, cause I wanted him to see it. And we wound up purchasing him. And at that point <clears throat> I had to move closer because driving out to Virginia was killing me. You know, I don't know if you know the area, but the mileage isn't so far, but in rush hour traffic at the end of the day, even leaving at three, could take an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes to get from D.C. to Virginia. Wow. So I found a barn in Annapolis, Stuart Pittman, um, at oh, Doden Farm. Awesome. And Stuart and I got along well, and he was perfect for my transition to get away, to get to try and move up the levels a little bit, um, up to the prelim level and have a place that's closer. Cause I could usually get there in under an hour, even with traffic. And so I bought two other horses and played around with them and took them up to the preliminary level. So with Stuart, um, so that was kind of my first big, big, uh, upper level experience for me. It was pretty exciting. And I did take one of those horses up to intermediate. He actually was successful at a few intermediates, but he was a thoroughbred, didn't really have the scope to go further. I think we did it just because we got along so well. He did it for me. He wasn't the most talented, scopey horse, but he was really a sweet horse. And then after I got a taste of that, I'm like, okay, I really want to move up the level. So then I searched for a obviously an obvious horse with good potential that could potentially do upper level. The other horses I was just getting, if they could do prelim, I would have been happy. Right. You know, I was my, aunt. but now I wanted horses that could go advanced and up to three, four star level. Wow. So you that um, mindset. you're like, okay, here I am. I'm yeah, I know. I, I absolutely at that point was like, you know, I'm putting in the time, let's do it. Wow. So I, I mean, you've seen me around. I'm, it's interesting because when I go to the horse shows, it's my hobby. It's my, passion, my love of the horses. So when I'm there, I'm pretty much hundred percent in a good mood. And so I, you know, unlike some riders, I don't have too much pressure on myself. I want to do well, but it's not my livelihood. It's not the food on my table. So I'm just having a good time. I talk to everybody. It's my social, uh, I, I'm very social. I love to hear about different people, see different people. So I had a good network of friends. And when I was looking for an upper level prospect, I would just come up and talk to some people and, you know, some people knew I was looking and they would send me info and Aaron Sylvester was up at the ring one day. I'd met her at Rolex, I think the year before. It's the year. She probably will hate that I'm tying this, but I train with her now, so it's okay. It's the year that she had the fall. I believe at no boundaries at, uh, I, um, I forget the name of the jump, but at the up bank at Rolex. And she had, she had a fall, and she kind of got torpedoed into a jump uh, off her horse. And she had her in an air vest, and she had on her helmet. And both of those pieces of safety equipment pretty much saved her. She walked up, got up, walked away. And I kind of, I had 
heard and seen from out of the corner of my eye that that fall because we were we go to Rolex every year and walk around. But later that day, I saw her at the vendor area, and she didn't see me. I saw her, and I saw her go to both the Charles Owen counter where they sell the vests and the helmets, and she had just fallen from her four star. And she goes to these people and says, you know what? You guys saved my life. She's like, without this safety vest and without this helmet, because I think the helmet cracked, she says, you know, I would have not walked away from this. And I just took a step back and said, you know, that's a person I'd like to know because she's a four-star rider. She's busy as hell, yet, and probably pissed that she's here. (laughs) She's competitive, wanted to do well and fell, but had the common courtesy and grace to go and thank people for, you know, help for her being able to walk away. So I wound up talking to her and said, you know, I thought that was really cool. And we just started chit-chatting. She didn't really know me from Adam, but I introduced myself. So we kind of met there and then saw each other at shows. So I'd known her for a little bit now. And then we were at Plantation. I was competing at the one-star level with my horse. She was at the ring and I just said, hey, I'm looking for a potential upper-level prospect. If you know of anything, let me know. And it just so happened that that uh, summer, Nielsen uh, and Laura Vandervliet were renting her lower barn, and they had a horse that Aaron had had seen and really thought it was a nice horse and said, you know, by the way, there is one you might want to consider. So I said, cool. So she gave me the information, and I called Nielsen, and the rest is history, and that's the horse I've named Game On that was named Bo. Cool. And so I got that horse uh, three and a half years ago. He was a five-year, uh, coming six-year-old. Nielsen had done a great job starting it and got it to prelims at that young age. And when I saw the horse, I was like, "Really? This is you know this, this is the horse they want, and they want this much money for it, and what?" And they had just come from a horse show, and they were running over from Aaron's barn to Boyd's to show me the horse. And you know, the horse was this plain dark bay horse, came out not really groomed a hundred percent. I was with a friend of mine, and we're like, "Really? Did we come here for this?" And then. But I like Nielsen. I trusted Aaron. So we got on the horse. Uh, uh, Nielsen rode the horse. Then I got on when I was in the ring at Boyd's and flatting it. And the horse's head's going straight up in the air. And I'm really having a hard time getting him round and getting to accept the bit. And finally, Nielsen's like, Carrie, just stop. Just let's jump the horse. So we jumped him and, and we just started and started clicking. And then he says, OK, let's go out on cross country. And I just remember going out on cross country and the horse was hunting the fences and he was young. But I'm just like clicked. I'm like, in my head, this is done. This is perfect. And so, of course, just to do my due diligence, I thought it over for a week and then had uh, asked Boyd to do a lesson with me on the horse at his place. And I just remember riding it and, you know, Boyd was on his way for a doctor's appointment with his wife when we were done. So we rode, he left, we were talking on the phone. He's like, mate, I think you should buy the horse, which is my, you know, my thought anyway. And so I'm like, well, get an endorsement from Boyd. You know, he's pretty good. I think I'll go with my instincts and buy the horse. And that was three years ago. Wow. So, and now I train with Aaron, who is the one who found the horse for me. So it's kind of full circle. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. And, and to her credit, you know, she always, she's so humble. She's like, oh, I just told you to go look at it. I didn't really do much, but you know, it, it was, it was really cool. So I bought that horse with the intent that I would take it up the levels. And, you know, up until recently, this past year, I mean, it went up the levels without really any, no cross-country jumping penalties other than, I think, a bobble where we took a big jump and he faulted a little on landing, a hard landing. He stayed upright and I popped off, you know, at one of our prelims. But going up the levels, the intermediates, the two stars, the three stars, which are now the four stars, I mean, no cross-country penalties up until the end of last year. So it was a good run all the way, <laughs> all the way up. Down, right? <laughs> oh, we got it. Yeah, that is that's been our that has been our nemesis. Anybody who tells you that dressage on a thoroughbred and an amateur rider. So this past winter, I um, took it a little bit to heart, and I spent six weeks in Wellington with uh, my horses, and I trained with the recommendation of Aaron um, uh, Jim Coford, who was a previous eventer who now is pure dressage. And we really worked on our flat work. I went down with one of Aaron's grooms, Joa, and we were able to spend six weeks and I spent intensive, you know, on the weekends, intensive dressage. And it's, it's helped. I mean, still not, still only get to ride two to three times a week, but it really 
did help and gave me a better foundation for the feeling of dressage. So we still need to get a four-star, well, right now, a four-star short qualifying so I can qualify for a 4L, which is our goal, which I'd like to get to do in Fairhill or Ocala because we've always had the jumping's been fine, but we've it's it's been a stinger. We've missed it by like 0.5 penalties oh, no. or 1.5 penalties. So they, when they switched the qualifying from 50 to 45, it kind of screwed me a little bit. Do you have so, aspirations of five star? Um, I do. If if we can get there, it's it's not something I'm gonna you know force myself to do. But if all you know, all the cards align and we're, we keep going in that you know trajectory, I would love to do it. You know, when I walk around Rolex these past few years, I'm actually walking it. I've walked it with the professionals, jump to jump. And in my head, I'm like, one day I'd like to do this. You know, I do think my horse is capable. That's awesome. We just have to, you know, we just have to get the qualifying. Um, but he's jumped around some really big, you know, four-star courses. You know, he jumped around, well, three-star courses he jumped around. Bromont, he did Fair Hill. You know, he did the two big ones. He did Fair Hill and Bromont. Um, so he's been, and he's done, you know, a lot of the, in the old format, a lot of the, you know, CIC three stars. So. Wow. That's cool. You know. Yeah. So he, he's, he's a good boy. So, yeah. And then I got, go ahead. Now, uh, how do you juggle the, you said you ride like three days a week and then you also did like the Wellington time. Can you tell us a little bit yeah. about how you manage the professional career and, you know, how, how do you work in the riding? How's the horse stay fit? Is the horse being ridden yeah. by Aaron during a week? And then, like when yeah. when you went to Wellington, were you commuting or were you were you yes. able to get away? Yeah, no, it's it's a juggling act, and it makes my partner's head spin a lot. <laughs> um, we the typical the typical work week for me. The good thing is I own my own business, so I'm able to try and work my schedule. You know, you have to be careful because if you do too many changes, you're not around enough patients don't feel an allegiance and don't want to come stay in the practice if you're never around. So you can't be gone all the time. So I try and be smart about it, but I'm very good with my time. I typically ride two to three days a week. And for me to get from my office in DC or my home up to Aaron's in Pennsylvania is a minimum two hours and 15 minutes each way. So it's a long drive. So I try, I have friends that are in the area that I stay at. So I'll go up typically on a Thursday night. I'll ride Thursday evening, spend the night, get up bright and early Friday morning, typically on my first horse by six. And then Friday afternoon, I go down to Rehoboth in the summers because if I want to stay happily married, I can't leave <laughs> my partner and then stay at the beach. And if I, if I can, I usually come back Sunday night to ride if that's possible. Wow. So that's usually my schedule. And if we're showing, um, same type of thing. I try and get up potentially at night or two during the week and then horse shows. So Aaron has been great. The horses, all my training with my horses are always in full board training because to your point, you're like, how do they stay fit? You know, they're on a consistent schedule constantly. And then I fit myself in and she works around mm -hmm. so that as much as I love galloping my horses, if I have two or three days a week to ride, the galloping is done by her, you know, her assistant trainers or by Aaron. And I'm there doing the flat work, the jumping, the cross country schooling, and maybe some galloping for fitness. Gotcha. So it's, it's a juggling act. <laughs> yeah, And then your and, fitness too, like to be able to go around those, you know, the, the, the yeah. courses, that's a, that's Oh yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, I, plus I've had a lot, you know, it's funny because I've, you know, I'm kind of put together with some pins here because, you know, I, I've not had any major riding injuries, so I'll still leave it to Boy to take the take the cake on that with all of his injuries. But just from all of my, uh, you know, athletics as a kid, you know, I, I had back surgery when I was 33, so I have a fusion and a rod in my back. Man. I had neck surgery in 04. I had right rotator cuff surgery in 14, and left rotator cuff surgery in 17. So there's been some downtime with the horses and physical therapy, but you know, there's a will, there's a way modern technology with, uh, and with medicine is, is awesome. It's bionic. So, <laughs> not necessarily bionic, just listen to the doctors. You know, I really tell, really, um, think it's great that we, we should treat ourselves as well as we treat our horses. And I do try and live by that being that I'm a dentist and in the medical field, I do listen to my doctors. I give myself enough time to heal. And that's actually worked out very well for me. Gotcha. Hey, and by the way, do you, are you, um, 
I know obviously you own your horses, but do you own horses for like Aaron or are you a horse owner outside of being a competitor also? No, I am not at this point. I could see myself doing that at some point since I love the horses so much, but right now I'm still, you know, even though I'm older, I still want to be out there competing. And so I'm spending that, those, uh, that, that, uh, the finances on me right now competing and, and pursuing my passion. Gotcha. 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 Cause that is, that's kind of an interesting thing mm-hmm. about the sport is where, you know, there's a lot of people at the upper levels, you know, a lot of it's owned horses and stuff like that. So I was just kind of curious oh, about that, you know, it is every day you see, and you can see on Facebook or this or that. And John T Evans was exemplary, you know, was, was kind of the uh, epitome of it, you know, horses that, Riders have been riding and they have different owners and the owners decide they want to sell and the riders try and keep the horse and they try and come up with ways to buy and sell and horses get traded from one rider to another. You know, it's it's a business. Mm -hmm. So I'm very fortunate. I don't have that many, but I have my horses. I have two now that I compete. I have a young one. Um that I'm competing at the preliminary level, a six-year-old, actually, she just, he just turned seven, um, a seven-year-old. Um, and I also have another eight-year-old um, horse that I thought was going to be a good prospect that turned out to be not a good prospect, as you know, we all make bad decisions. It's a beautiful horse, <laughs> great moving horse, but never was going to be a good eventer. It went up to the training level. We took it to some prelim, but not brave enough cross country. And that horse has found a lovely home in the hunter world. She's been leased out for the year now and hopefully uh, continue to be leased or purchased at the end of the year by a nice young lady who's in the hunter, hunter world. Awesome. Awesome. So I've got my, my fingers in that a little bit. I still like that. I still like watching uh, the mare that I have go, but hopefully she'll be sold with, with that young, young gal and they'll have a good partnership. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So Carrie, we have a little segment called quick fire questions. Quick fire questions. So we're gonna, oh, cool. <laughs> so we're going to ask you five questions and uh, you answer them as fast or as slow as you want. And sure. We do grade you. at. The we're going to grade you. We're, okay. We definitely grade you. We you, definitely you go. You go right ahead. <laughs> we won't tell you the grade though. But well, we, we, we we'll do. just talk behind your back and talk no. about it. Nah, just kidding. That, just make pretend you're at a horse show. No different. No different. <laughs> All right. So. Growing up, who was your uh, favorite rider? Someone that you looked up to. Oh wow, that's a really hard one. I would have to say the first one I really looked up to was Stephen Bradley because I was really getting into the sport at that point. Awesome. Good answer. What a great guy to look up to. Yeah. Too. He's yeah. Really such Perfect. A great guy. Yeah. Love him. All right. Your favorite event to compete at? Well, my favorite event is no longer. It was a one-time event and it was Richland. People had talked about it so much and I finally made it there and it was just spectacular. And unfortunately, the year I did it was the last year the last year they had it. So I was really fortunate to at least go its final year. Yeah. Mm. That's sad. I think so many people loved it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really great event. And especially for that area, they didn't really have much. So it was, it was, it was lovely. Now, of course I do have to say, cause I'm local. I do love plantation best event ever. So let's <laughs> give a shout out. But Okay. <laughs> Plantations in our backyard. So we're, we're pretty it, big fans of plantation. Yeah, that exactly. Fair, that and Fair Hill. Of course, those are the staples. Yeah. So, you know, we all, we all like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any hobbies that do not include horses? Oh, absolutely. One of my favorites is tennis. And uh, I was a big avid tennis, tennis player. Still am, but just with, as I alluded to before, with some shoulder surgeries, I don't play it as much as before or as seriously, but still do it. But it's one of my favorite uh, sports other than riding. Awesome. Good cool. answer. Good okay. Answer. Uh, do you have any good luck or superstitions before an event? Absolutely not. <laughs> I really don't. I really don't. I, you know, I just, as I said, I'm there to have fun. I have personal goals. Um, I am competitive to the point where I want to more 
be there for my horses and ride my give my horses the best ride I can because I truly believe they're so good um, that I don't want to fail them. But I don't have any ritual or any superstitious uh, superstition. I don't wear a specific pair of socks or do anything you know like that before a competition. Gotcha. Okay. Good answer. All right. Last one. Last one. If you could ride any horse, past, present, or fiction, who would it be? Pegasus. Ooh, oh, good answer. I like that one. That's an excellent yeah. answer. Because why? Because I'd never worry about the rotational fall. They could just flap <laughs> their wings and fly off. There you go. Oh, there you go. All right, Karen, we'll grade them. All right. So. <laughs> I go A plus plus. Yeah, especially with that last answer. Yeah, the last answer. And then he had me going here with the, with the whole superstition, the absolutely not. You had me going. <laughs> So yeah, I, I know points. you don't have time for superstition at these events. Sometimes <laughs> when you're riding two horses and you're going back to back, even with help, yeah. you got to you got to just you got to just keep going. I, I do I do find it very uh, what's the word? I admire you know the Bucks and Philip and Boyd who ride six seven you know horses at an event, even with help. You know, people go oh, they have all the help, even with help. It's oh. a lot mentally and physically. So I give a big shout out to them you know i'd love to try it one day if i had the time and the resources to ride that many so i'll be sticking with two but i do admire those that can that can juggle that many and be successful at it just think in that one day when they're riding like six horses and at, at, at like a at a three day like mm-hmm. they're they're doing like three months of your riding in that one day like with your two or three days a week of one horse yeah months. yeah it is and that's that incredible. and that's that therein lies the amateur dilemma yeah you know, I, I I rode with Boyd quite a bit. Um, just I would go up for lessons when I was with Stuart Pittman in Annapolis. And when I bought Game On or Bo, I actually kept him with Boyd for that first season at Aiken because he was, it was just more convenient. I was going to Aiken. Um, and he said something to me, you know, when I would have a little bit, you know, I'm pretty positive, but if I was frustrated about something or I missed a jump, I'm going, sorry, you know, sorry about that bad distance or whatever. And I have a pretty good eye. And he's like, you know, Carrie. And those were his words. He's like, you have a really good eye. Don't beat yourself up so much. He says, you jump, you know, in a day, I jump more jumps than you probably jump in four months. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, you know, that you're going to have bad jumps. He's like, I'm amazed you don't have more bad jumps. But, you know, it is. That's, that's the amateur dilemma, you know, the, the amount of time in the saddle. Because I know a lot of other people that try and juggle and, you know, I do admire, you know, Frankie, who just came in fourth over uh, 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 in Germany, you oh, know, yeah. in Mulan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's another young rider, uh, Emma Klugman, who is in, in university and riding. And they're, you know, they're, they either have one horse or amateur juggling many things. The thing that they have going for them is, you know, and I've talked to them, is they can ride every day. You know, Frankie has her horse that right. she can ride every day. And yeah. Emma is in college, but she has one or two horses that she rides every day at school, you know, near school. So there are some, you know, different amateurs like me who work and don't live out in the country or don't live by their farm. So not only do you, you're an amateur, you have less time to ride in more inconsistent times. It sounds to me, Karen, like Carrie just needs to move out here by us. Yeah. Like Fairhill could really use that, a really good. Hey, you got, you got a room? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got a free room and let, let, let's talk. My partner might not be so happy, but yeah. Those, those would be as, aspirations one day would, would be good to, to be closer. But I got to tell you, there is something to be said, you know, with balance and even, you know, with working with riding, it does give me the focus to try and really make the most of it when I'm there and and just really enjoy it because reality reality is reality and I can't ride full time right. and I need to work to support the horses. So it is what it is. So you just learn to work with it and just have good support staff. As I said, you know, the, the best rider, and you'll see any rider who posts anything or says anything, you know, always has a big shout out to their team. And whether you're a professional or an amateur, even at a local show, I couldn't be successful this past weekend. We were at, <clears throat> at Lockmoy and, you know, with two horses going and starting at 814 and finishing at one, doing all three divisions, you know, in that time frame, you know, I've got a groom that helps me and, you know, Aaron helps coach and a groom, you know, that helps tack up and, you know, stud and helps ice and all of that. 
so, you know, we can walk courses. It, you just can't do it without the support. You know, I have, I've done it at lower levels where I've groomed for myself two horses in a day and got to tell you, exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you, you got to have the support at, at all levels, even if it's just a friend who's coming for the day to help hold a horse or to help, you know, bathe a horse, even mm-hmm. something as simple as that. It just really gives you, gives you a little bit of help to, to focus on your day's activity. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. Excellent. Good answer. So on that note, um, do you have any advice for that amateur rider that's trying to juggle their professional career and riding? Absolutely, I do. And this is from personal experience. I think the best way for an amateur to be successful is to surround themselves with a successful professional. With one caveat. That successful professional has to have a passion for teaching and has to have a passion for your goals because there are many professionals out there who teach and they do clinics and they occasionally will teach when you catch them at the right time, but that's their career. So they have their own schedule. They have goals. They're away a lot. They focus their priority or their horses as it should be. And if you're an amateur with a lofty goal, there are professionals out there who have their own goals, but who also do love the, the art of teaching and who do, do love watching people progress. And if you can find those, they are invaluable in giving you the, the mental support that you need and then also the physical support in making sure your horses are on the right program for the trajectory that you want them to go to. Even if it's just training, you still need a fit horse. Mm-hmm. You know, you still, you still need to have the skill set for the technicality on the course. And, you know, people can wing it and cowboy it. And at the lower levels, the, an accident, you know, isn't usually as traumatic at the lower levels, although it can be as we saw just the other day, um, you know, with that young, young rider. So, you know, you should never dismiss that. But if you can surround yourself with a professional who is willing to take on your goals as well, it's going to be a win-win situation. So in other words, he's and saying the, Aaron Sylvester is his, <laughs> that's what he's chosen. Yeah, I, I, I will give a big shout out to my trainer, Aaron, and I know there are others that I can, can you know, list to that I know personally that have wonderful students. Caitlin Silliman is one of them. Yeah up and coming riders. So it's not just one. And I, you know, I, I know there are plenty others, even, you know, Nielsen and Laura Vanderly. I mean, there are plenty of them out there. So there's not just one, but one, you have to get along with them. You have to respect them, but you, you all, you have to have a working relationship where even though you're an amateur, they've got to respect what you want to do and it's got to be important to them. And if it's not, then you're always going to be second fiddle. You know what I mean? And that's, that's no way for you to advance. Absolutely. You know, there, there's got to be a time, and that's what's great with Erin. You know, there's a time when, you know, when she's going to Rolex and she's going to these events and prepping for Fair Hill, sure, you know, she's going to have a little bit more focus on herself and a little bit less on a lesson program the week of Fair Hill, right. but sure. she still fits it in. But she's also, you also know that, and she might also that might be your time to go with, you know, to maybe go take a lesson outside with somebody else or do whatever. But for the most part, you know, she does want to work with you. And as an aside, a really good point that I did want to make too is find a trainer that is confident in their own skills, that they are not the least bit intimidated by another instructor. Excellent. And I've been in that situation, you know, Aaron's wonderful, but Aaron was the one who suggested, even though we, you know, we kind of, you know, talked about it. She's the one who really suggested and you know, planted the seed that I should go to Wellington and work with, you know, Jim Cofer for six weeks. You know, I don't know a lot of trainers that would really try and do, you know, that's, you know, just the financial implications of me being out of her barn. Sure. You know, if you want to get down to the business aspect of it, you know. Yeah. I'm not there for six weeks. So, and, you know, all of that goes with it, but she had my interest at heart. And so she wasn't, she wasn't affected by that. And she actually came to, okay, when we were there riding, you know, she watched a lesson with me and Jim, or she talked to Jim to say, you know, what do you see that I can take away so that when I'm doing my lessons with Carrie, we can build upon that. And it's too sad that previous trainers of mine, you know, who, um, didn't have that same philosophy. They felt threatened if you would go to see 
a trainer besides themselves are mm-hmm. threatened if you wanted to hire an outside groom or whatever because you didn't feel like you were a priority. And that just shouldn't happen. I, you know, in my line of work, I, I see people for second opinions and I recommend people go for second opinions if they're not 100% comfortable with what we're recommending. So I think it's, you know, fair in the equestrian community that um, the same the same should happen without trainers, you know, feeling like they're stepping on someone's toes. If, if another, you know, if a rider comes to you and asks you for help, you should be able to give it. You know, it's different if you're trying to steal a client away. Yeah, <laughs> you know right, what I'm saying? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's different if you're saying, hey, you should come with me. That trainer stinks. I understand that. But if you're if I'm with the trainer, like I'm with Aaron, and I take jump lessons with Richard Pickens, and I've taken lessons with Boyd, and I take, you know, dressage lessons with Silva, you know, and everybody's all happy. They're they're happy. I come back, and, you know, Richard tells Aaron what we worked on, <laughs> and fills her in and says, okay, you should work on this. Things were good. Things were, you know, and that's the way it should work. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm on so, board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my, my final word for all amateurs out there is that you are competitive in this community. It takes one day for you and your horse to be on fire to win. There you go. There you go. And you really need to believe that because there are days that, you know, like we said, professionals and consistency, but the opportunity is available every time you go in the ring to put on your best performance. And some days that best performance just may be the best. Yeah. That's awesome advice. So, Uh, Fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You know, whoever thought little old me would be chatting with you guys talking about horses many Aww. years ago, but it's fun. Yeah, oh, man, okay. we, we're, we're so thankful that you came on. Yeah. Hey, as we wind things down, we know you're on a time crunch. We want to make sure, sure we just get this last little question in that we always like to ask is we always want to recognize any sponsors or supporters. We know you're an amateur, so I don't know about the sponsors, but if you have any right. any supporters you would like to shout sure. out, we would love to. I would love to shout out to my partner of crime for going on 20 years, Derek Johnson, who without the support of him, would not I would not be able to do what I do. Because, as you know, relationships take a lot of work. Um, And, you know, he does love the horses. He's never been around horses. He grew up boating. And as he says, he hates horse shit. He likes water. (laughs) He likes to be clean. I like to be dirty. So, you you know, for him to be around the horses and he's gotten into it. But to allow me, because it's crazy schedules. You know, I'm gone on some weekends. He's sometimes at the beach by himself. Or he'll fly to an event to... You know, and he does a lot of my travel arrangements because he loves planning trips and things. So last minute, and you know with the horses, you know, your horse is lame, so you're not going to this show. you got to rebook to that show, or you don't do as well as you thought at this show, so you now have to do another qualifier. So you switch. So the plan, so it's gotten to the point where, you know, if we want to go on a trip and, you know, Derek's passion is travel, um, and this is the truth, he will call Aaron and say, Aaron, (laughs) I'm trying to plan some vacations. Can you tell me when Carrie's available? (laughs) <laughs> it, goes through, it goes through your and it, it's the god's honest truth because you know like he knows before fair hill and anything can happen because yeah. you got to say you know i don't know if i'm going to make it to fair hill this year or the horse will make it so this is a goal but it may not happen so i need to be able to be home for the week before to practice so it's right. kind of that so my big shout out is to him and then the other big shout out really is to lily bridge eventing to the barn back home you know aaron sylvester and joe sigsby and you know grooms are recognized now more than ever, which I think is awesome. Yeah. Um, I still don't think they're recognized enough. You know, the day in the life of a groom um, of Joa would you know make most people's head spin with the amount of work that she does. And so, a big shout out to them at the barn. Awesome. So they're they're my biggest supporters because they allow me to do um, what I love to do. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Hey, and then. Uh... And sponsors, come on. Anybody? I'm here. <laughs> You're willing to like ditch that amateur status, right? And get a couple of sponsors to help out along the way. Hey, anything, anything's possible. <laughs> anything's possible, Rob. You know. That's awesome. But let's see. Let's see. Let me get my dressage and, and better. I mean, it's good, but I mean, it, it's got to get better, but let's, uh, let's work on that. Uh, you're on, we're going to be, yeah. we're going to, Karen, I think we're going to be at Land Rover here in another couple of years and there be like, go. there's Carrie. Bam. That, Wizard that, bottles. that would be, you know, there was a German dentist who made it to the Olympic eventing team. Wow. So an amateur. And oh, so my first, my first three started Ocala in 2017. If you go back and watch the video, 
they called me the galloping dentist. Oh, there we go. <laughs> That's it. Which my was... partner got a very big kick out of, and that, that was the reference. So, and I took, I was very happy to be in that same company. That's awesome. That, I, that was pretty awesome that he was a dentist and riding on the uh, German Olympic eventing squad. Gotcha. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, and so. we, know, we know you're pressed for time. The uh, contact or, or can people follow along? Are you are you public on social media at all? Or are you? Pretty- yeah, I mean, I'm on Facebook, so anybody can, you know, Facebook, uh, you know, can send me a Facebook friend request. You know, typically, as with most people, I tend to like to to like and friend people I know and accept friend requests from people I know. However, in the horse eventing community, I'm much more liberal because we all know each other. So if I see someone friending me who's friends with 25 of my other eventing friends, I'm more apt to see them and then accept their friend request. So, but that's, that's probably the best way um, to do it, to find me. And then they can always find me on my web, my dental website of Chavis Dental. So Chavis Dental, <laughs> there we go. In there DC. you go. Holy smokes! <laughs> hey, you know, there's so many people in DC area, so that's pretty cool. It it's, is. It's a great city. It's a great city to live in, and very, uh, very action packed at all times. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, Carrie, thank you so much. Karen, was yeah, this awesome? This was great. What? Yeah. This is fantastic. We don't want to hold you up. We know you, you've had a long day, and we had a time crunch. Sure. Um, thank you so much. This was fantastic. No problem. Well, thank you guys for having me on, and I hope some eventer amateur out there gets a little inspiration to keep doing what they love. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. You can leave us a review on Apple iTunes or visit us at MajorLeakEventing.com. Cheers. Cheers.